Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Now generating space whale language. Strap in folks, the nerds have arrived, bringing you the ultimate nerd podcast. Nerds, the worlds of gaming, horror, TV, and film have collided right here. This will be your finest hour. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we're breaking down the latest episode of Ahsoka, and we're also reacting to the Aquaman Lost Kingdom trailer. Plus, we got a trailer for Marvel's Spider-Man 2, and we're giving you our predictions for AEW's Grand Slam. Also, if that's not enough show for you, then after the episode, you should check out our Patreon, where starting this month, you will receive our best and worst of the week show, along with our bonus countdowns, reviews, and more, all for the price of $4.99. Plus, we're now also offering a seven-day free trial, which will give you access to our 40-plus episodes of bonus content available right now. Just follow the link in our show notes or simply type in patreon.com slash amazingnerdshow and help support our show today. But all right, with that said, let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning, potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. Alright, up first we've got our usual weekly rumor roundup for the upcoming Deadpool 3. Can we get some toast was added again this week with another potential return for Deadpool 3. This time their sources claim Marvel was in negotiations with Daphne Keene who played a young X-23 in Logan and is now set to appear in Deadpool 3. The scooper claims it's not a significant appearance though, more of a quick cameo in comparison to some of the others, but honestly out of all the Fox era characters that could survive into the MCU, I don't think I'd have any issues with Daphne Daphne reprising for a future, you know, MCU film. But we will see what happens with X-Men. I still feel like that's a very long ways away. I don't know. I mean, she's a cool character and everything, but I think I'd rather just have them start fresh with Wolverine, you know, from like square one, you know, with mm. him joining. Well, not square one, but like, you know, from him, like joining the X-Men, um, you know, in the MCU proper when they finally introduce him. And by the sound of things, you know, from all the casting rumors we've heard for Wolverine, um, it sounds like they're probably headed in that direction. You know, this being a younger version of the character or, you know, younger than however old he is. In, yes. You know, <laughs> in Marvel, but he's over like 100, right? Um, so I don't know. Uh, but uh, we're also hearing a rumor when it comes to Deadpool 3 that they're going to be introducing Battleworld. Now, for those who don't know, Battle Planet was introduced in the 1980s in the original Secret Wars comic. Uh, it was where this cosmic being known as the Beyonder ushered all the villains and heroes from the Marvel Universe to basically do battle for his own amusement. Um, I think there was a deeper meaning, but honestly, at this point, I don't remember. Um, but, you know, Jonathan Hickman later on in his... 20 teens version of secret wars which was this huge mega event also he reintroduced the concept of battle planet but this time his version of battle planet was this hodgepodge of different realities that dr doom was able to salvage during the final incursion event and because he's dr doom and this is what he does it was a planet that he ruled over um, now, I'm surprised that they would be introducing the whole concept of Battleworld and 
Deadpool. I kind of assumed it was the end game of, you know, no pun intended, of this saga, uh, you know, that we would see it in, you know, the, the Secret Wars film that we know is coming out uh, sometime in what, like 2035 at this point. Uh-huh. Uh, like, could this be possibly a realm that, you know, the TVA, who we know uh, is going to be in this film in some, you know, shape or fashion, you know, could this be a realm that the TVA is throwing, like, you know, disregarded uh, realities? Um, because I can't imagine them introducing a character like the Beyonder here, although it'd be fun to see Deadpool, you know, tackle that character, you know, bad perm and all. Um, you know, and I, you know, we know that there's going to be, well, rumor, there's a rumor that we're going to see the original version of Doctor Doom, right, um, mm-hmm. in this film. But I, I can't see him being the main villain. I mean, at least, dear God, I hope not. Um, <laughs> I, I'm hoping that the MCU has bigger plans for Doom in the future. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, I'm just really curious to see how all of this plays out, you know, at the end of the day. I don't know, because they also had that rumor of Cassandra Nova being, like, potentially the main villain of this. And it's like, how does that factor into battle world and everything else going on with multiverse and potentially deadpool kills you know the fox universe it's it's a lot of concepts being you know introduced at the same time as far as all these rumors have been i mean personally if they were to introduce battle world here i would hope that it's being used more as like a warning of what's to come rather than like deadpool's actually interacting with you know the concept of battle world no, I agree. Um, there's just almost too much meat on the bone for, you know, Deadpool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I feel like what's a secret war film without, you know, Battle World? So, I don't know. I, it just feels like it would make the film almost feel anticlimactic, if that makes any sense. I just feel like we're back to, um, you know, Doctor Strange level or Multiverse of Madness levels of like speculation at this point. Oh, it's worse, I think, honestly, Uh, with all like, I mean, like I said, uh, up front, like literally weekly, we have a a new batch of rumored characters to be, you know, showing up in the Deadpool 3 film. Um, I mean, with Doctor Strange and, you know, Spider-Man no way home it was nowhere near close to you know this high of a volume i think the difference is you know most of these are probably going to just be like fun like one scene cameos uh and that's it anyway moving on uh we've got an update for sony's spider-man spinoff el murto in an interview with vanity fair artist bad bunny let it be known that he has dropped out of the role as el murto for the sony spider-man spinoff um it was recently reported that the film was missing from you know sony's 2024 release calendar and was assumed to be delayed and this may be one of the biggest reasons as to why now with you know bad bunny being out uh bunny didn't you know disclose why he dropped from the project what the film was originally set to come out january 12th of 2024 i have a feeling he just read the room and realized no one no one wants this movie <laughs> he's too busy wrestling the miz and shit you know the, you know the next wwe pay-per-view or whatever so you know who gives a shit about this movie honestly most likely they'll just bury you know the script in the graveyard of you know sony spin-off spider-man films that could have been 
Well, up next, we've got some Star Wars news in the form of an update for the upcoming Lando project. Writer Stephen Glover in a report by Deadline claimed the Lando project is shifting from a series to a film now. Um, to paraphrase, he basically stated, you know, due to strikes, information seems to be going back and forth in a game of telephone, but the project is now set to you know be a film instead. My guess, similar to rumors about Mando season four, you know, being turned into a movie is that Disney is trying to maybe condense some of their projects right now um, to stay within some type of timely release window that they have in mind. And, you know, shooting a full length series would, you know, not only be less cost effective, but probably take more time to do in general depending on what they want to do with a Lando you know, project. Yeah, and I'm guessing financially, it's probably a lot more profitable um, mm -hmm, because yeah. it just sounds like they're losing money hand over fist with Disney Plus right now. So why invest a whole series, you know, into the you know streaming service if, you know, they know they can make a quick buck doing another Star Wars film, right? I just wonder if there's, you know, enough interest in a Lando, you know, film after Solo not performing so well. I think it depends on what kind of story they're tackling. Um, I mean, a lot of fans really love Donald Glover's version of Lando. Mm -hmm. Um, so I could see it being successful. And I think over the last couple of years, Solo has like garnered, you know, more and more fans. Um, I'm not necessarily one of them, but you know, I, I think there's a lot of people who want to see some of those storylines tied up. Um, I don't know if that's the kind of, you know, film that they have in mind though, or if this is something completely different. Yeah, I don't know if I need Lando versus Maul, you know, <laughs> continuing on with that storyline. <laughs> I could see Lando versus like the Crimson Dawn, right? And it could be kind of like a, you know, a solo adjacent story uh, where, you know, maybe Solo makes an appearance, but he's just not the main character. I mean, Han could just be, you know, too focused on, you know, chasing after the Games of Thrones check, yes. right? <laughs> Possibly. But anyway, uh, it looks like we also have a big rumor for the upcoming season two of The Last of Us. Insider My Time to Shine Hello this week posted that sources tell them Florence Pugh was offered the role of Abby for The Last of Us season two pre-strike. Um, Florence Pugh, if you don't know, is best known for her incredible performances in roles like open and Midsummer, along with you know the more notable stuff like her role in the MCU as Yelena and is actually set to be starring in the upcoming Dune sequel. So she's been a busy woman as of late. However, despite the you know age difference uh, between her and Bella Ramsey, who plays Ellie in the show, um, I think she would be you know probably the best choice for a character like Abby. I think you know she could you know really nail that type of role you know based on what we know of that character and all the previous performances I've seen from Florence. Pew. But you know, this is a wait and see type of situation. So I'm sure there are many projects just waiting in line for Pew at this time. So we'll see if she's able to, you know, jump into a series like this or not. Now, if you can get Florence Pugh, you get fucking Florence Pugh. Um, but with that being said, is she too old for the character? I feel like in comparison to Bella Ramsey, just because yeah. of how young Bella yeah, is at this point. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of, right? I mean, I mean is they're there... not like super close in age in game, but they're not like this, like 10, 15 years apart, you know? Yeah, I don't know how old Florence Pugh is, but she just feels a lot older than Bella Ramsey. Um, and now is th is there a decent like time jump from, uh, you know, the first game to the second game? Oh, uh, yeah, there's a bit of a time jump. Okay. But I don't know how much they're going to represent that with 
her with uh, Bella, you know? Because I'm sure Bella Ramsey in real life is probably, like, you know, 18 to 20, right? But in the this show, she's like 14, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I'm guessing there's probably like a significant time jump and maybe that's how it all works. Um, and Florence Pugh, for all I know, is probably in her mid-20s. I have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> so, but like I said, you know, up front, like, if you can get Florence Pugh, you get fucking Florence Pugh. I mean, she's a superstar at this point, so. She does nothing but elevate anything she's in, mm-hmm. so. But anyway, moving on to more horror news. Uh, it sounds like a Brightburn sequel is on its way. Deadline reports that Mark Rao, the CEO of H3 Entertainment, is developing a Brightburn 2. However, instead of getting you know a lot of details about the film, where they're going with the direction of it and all that, um, it seems that Mark Rao you know, was more focused on letting everyone know about how they're integrating AI, Web3, and the metaverse into their slate of films, and how this technology will be, you know, helping drive their workflow. Um, They also made sure to let us know that they're not replacing human jobs with AI. As they say, human touch is irreplaceable in cinema, but still kind of a weird time to be announcing a heavy use of AI programs for your future films uh, when there's a strike going on, just about that kind of shit. Yeah, it's definitely a little tone deaf. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> is James Gunn still attached to this project? Do we know? Um, all that was stated in the article, at least, was that he still has partial ownership over, you know, the Brightburn franchise. Yeah, because Brightburn was his baby. Like, he was the executive mm-hmm. producer. I think his his brothers wrote the script um, originally. So, um do you want a Brightburn, too? Um, I would be interested to see where it goes. I have no problem with that. Like, I... If, if it was closer to like four years ago when the first one came out, I think that would have been a perfect time for it. But now I'm, I'm not as like excited for it, I would say. Now, while the whole idea, you know, behind, uh, you know, evil Superman origin story is cool. I just, I don't know. I felt like the film itself never really like lived up to its potential. Um... So I don't know. I, I, I don't think I'm really excited for this at all. Um, and I, I, you know, we I think we heard rumors of a sequel happening a couple years back. But even then, I was just kind of like, meh. Um, I mean, I, my guess is we're going to get like a teenage version of the character or, you know, maybe even like a college version of the character. Um, but I don't know. I'm just getting like, you know, Omen 3 vibes from it. Um <laughs> No one wants to see Damien all grown up. Uh, so I, I just, I don't know. We're also in like, a, you know, a post boys world now where we've seen multiple seasons. We've seen an evil Justice League. Yeah, know, I mean, the degree, boys so. really, you know, told this story better. So uh. <laughs> they did a better version <laughs> of Brightburn with the Homelander character. So, I mean, you're absolutely right. Well, sticking with the wonderful world of horror, it looks like we got a casting update for the upcoming Final Destination 6. Play Disgusting has heard from sources that Tony Todd has signed on to reprise his role as William Bloodworth for the sixth installment of Final Destination. Apparently, the film will delve into some of the backstory of Bloodworth's life with flashbacks to his childhood that might show a you know clear connection between him and death. John Watts is on to produce with also the duo of Zach Lebowski and Adam B. Stein on to direct. Huh, that actually sounds like a cool concept. Um, I like the fact that it's not going to just be another like glorified cameo. Um, you know, maybe they kind of give a backstory on why he seems like, you know, the harbinger 
of these events. Like there's actually more to all the characters' appearances, you know, throughout this series. I mean, the more Tony Todd, the better, right? Well, yeah, I agree. I'm excited to have Tony Todd in another film, but I, I don't know. I don't feel like I need his origins explained all that much. And Final Destination, like, I don't know, none, none of the Final Destination films have ever had incredible writing. So maybe that's why I'm like, you know, more hesitant. But, yeah, you know, the last couple films are just kind of there. So uh -oh. <laughs> I do feel like they need to shake things up a little. I mean, this whole like human game of mousetrap is cool and all. But like it, 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 the concept was getting more and more ridiculous. Um, as the films went on and on and on. <laughs> so I think I'm just glad they're kind of, you know, shaking things up. So, and hey, it's a payday for Tony Todd, and that's always a good thing. All right, and finally, it looks like the Strangers trilogy is coming a lot sooner than we originally thought. According to sources at Fangoria, all three of the upcoming Strangers films in their newly announced trilogy are premiering in 2024. The Strangers took to, you know, X this week to let everyone know that they're doing a first look at the upcoming New York Comic Con in October. So perhaps we will learn, you know, for sure what is actually being released in the upcoming year. Yeah, because we did hear like the first film of the trilogy was going to be coming out next year. But we definitely didn't hear the whole fucking trilogies coming out next uh -huh. year. <laughs> I mean, maybe they saw the success of X and Pearl and they're like, fuck it. Let's just throw it all out there at once. Um, who knows? But I mean, as long as the films stay true to the original source material, which I mean, the original Strangers is one of my favorite horror films of the last like 20 some years. I'm fine with it. But if this film is anything like Prey Night, I want nothing nothing to do with this christian do you ever see pre night no i have not seen it good for you because that film was the drizzling shits christian <laughs> yeah your review didn't uh, help <laughs> oh man i was so hyped for that movie too god damn it all right christian so this past week we actually got the trailer finally for aquaman the lost kingdom four years ago i was basically unemployed a wanderer with no home but now, I'm a husband, and a father, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I don't know how you did it, Pops. My job was a little less stressful than yours. Oh yeah, I finally got a job. I'm the king of Atlantis. So right off the bat, uh, Aquaman is in a very, very different place than he was in the first film. Uh, he's now a family man. I'm guessing he's married to Mira, whose character definitely feels like is being scaled back due to all the controversy since mm -hmm. she's barely in this trailer. I, um, I think it's like one shot. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh but, um, you know, he's a family man. He's got a child now, uh, Aqua Baby. Uh, you know, he's hanging out with Boba Fett, his dad. Uh, we even see him doing laundry at the lighthouse. Uh, <laughs> it's a very, very different Aquaman. But, oh, yeah, he's also now the king of Atlantis. So heavy is the head that wears the crown, right? Um, you know, it sounds like he might be a little overwhelmed. Uh, but then, you know, there's the black manta of it all, uh, cause he is coming for some motherfucking revenge. Uh, now if you're a comic book fan, you know that that revenge entails him actually killing Aqua Baby. 
I don't know why I'm laughing because it's horrible. Uh, I, I, I doubt that's going to happen. I you can't know? <laughs> foresee that happening here because uh-huh. this movie just looks like, let's be honest, stupid fun. Uh, but you know what? I loved all the stupid fun from the first film, and I'm looking forward to the you know dumb fun we're probably going to get here. Uh, because, man, there is a whole lot of insane visuals that we're getting. We're seeing Aquaman on a fucking seahorse. Uh, we're seeing giant crabs. Uh, this is pretty much everything that we got in the first Aquaman film, which included a fucking octopus playing drums, uh, you know, times 10. So I don't know, man, this this trailer actually got me excited for this movie. And that's even with the current direction that we know the DCU is headed in, you know, basically causing this movie to be kind of a lame duck, um, you know, because at the end of the day, we don't know if any of this is going to really matter. Um, but you know, honestly, if I go into this movie just knowing that, you know, I'm looking for two hours of solid entertainment, I I don't know, from what I'm seeing here, I actually might, you know, walk out of the theater being satisfied. I think part of the reason also is Black Mantle just looks amazing. Um, you know, he was kind of one of the highlights of the first film. And here it looks like he's going to actually be the main villain this time out. I guess he's been powered up by something called the Black Trident. Uh, that has like a long history with, you know, the legend of Atlantis. So he's going to be able to go toe to toe with Aquaman this time out. Uh, you know, he's not going to have to just rely on his oversized helmet this time out. And like not only abilities, but it seems like it gives him control over the trench creatures. So maybe that's going to be like his army going in. Is that what we're seeing there? Was that another that's trench? What I was, I believe those are all the trench guys. Because I thought it was like zombies or something like that. I thought he was like raising the dead like the Black Lanterns or something with the, you know, the the trident. So, but I mean, it's been so long, I totally forgot about the trench. So, <laughs> and I that was originally going to have its own solo film. Like they were going to mm-hmm. have their own movie, right? It was going to be a yeah, straight up horror film. Yeah, they canceled it, yeah. Yeah. Now, this is a James Wan film. So, of course, Patrick Wilson isn't too far behind. Uh, He's going to be reprising his role as Ocean Master. And this time out, it looks like Aquaman is going to be reaching out to him, you know, to help him fight against Black Manta. Uh, Black Manta, of course, is looking for revenge over the death of his father. And from what Ocean Master says, um, he's trying to put a stop to Aquaman's bloodline. Uh, which means, once again, he's probably going after Aqua Baby, uh, which is pretty messed up. Um, you know, I don't foresee the events of the comic books, you know, taking place here, which is just horrific to say the least, with, you know, Black Manta actually killing a young, you know, Aqua kid. Um, mm-hmm. If anything, I could see it being a scenario where dear old dad ends up dying. You know, it becomes an, you know, an eye for an eye type deal. Mm-hmm. Or hell, even mom. Um, you know, we do see Nicole Kidman briefly in the trailer, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe they die, like, trying to, you know, save the baby or something. Someone important will die. I, I mean, sure. <laughs> it just feels almost too dark for this film, though, just from the tone of the trailer and everything. Yeah, because, I mean, he still acts like a frat boy. Yes. <laughs> the entire thing. <laughs> But, I mean, you wouldn't expect anything less from Jason Momoa, right? Uh, no. He's going to make a great Lobo when that happens. <laughs> yes. Knock on wood. Uh, there's also the question of, you know, Batman. We know that Michael Keaton filmed a cameo. And then, you know, apparently Ben Affleck also filmed a cameo. 
Um, seeing how that Flash film ended, I wouldn't be surprised if both of them aren't in the film somehow. Yeah. Um, you know? Um, Another George Clooney sighting? Huh? Yes, like maybe the film starts off with Keaton and ends with Affleck. <laughs> and we just have a very confused Aquaman, you know? And that's why he heads to the bar and meets up with the Flash. But I don't know, man. I, this just looks like it's going to be a good time. And, and I was actually kind of surprised with how excited this trailer got me because this film just kind of fell off my radar, honestly. Um, you know, it's been pushed back so many different times at this point. Uh, you know, and like I said, you have the whole like lame duck situation with DC mm -hmm. right now uh, where everyone's just kind of waiting for James Gunn's Superman at this point. Uh, but, you know... It is what it is. Like, I mean, we might as well sit back and enjoy it if we're going to get it right. All right. Well, Aquaman, The Lost Kingdom is coming out December 20th, just in time for the holidays. And now for the nerds breakdown of episode five of Ahsoka. Heavy spoilers ahead. You have been warned. All right. What's the lesson, Master? Live. <laughs> Or die. We open this week with sweeping shots of Setos as Hera finally lands on the planet at the map site. Carson and company continue to sweep overhead looking for Ahsoka and Sabine. Jason and Chopper then join Hera on the ground as Hera discovers Hugh Yang holding Sabine's helmet knowing that they hadn't you know, listened to him at all, especially after he pleaded for them to stay together. In the world between worlds, Ahsoka stands face to face with Anakin, relenting on how he looks just as she remembered. When asking how you know she got here anakin claims you know she lost a fight which takes her actually a moment to remember anakin states her memory is a sign that she has a chance to live still and that he's here to finish her training anakin ignites his lightsaber but ahsoka refuses to fight he charges forward anyway saying that people have said that to him before so i know i said this last podcast but i mean it's just so good to see hayden christensen back in this role um you know properly de-aged this time around compared to you know what we got in obi-wan uh mm. you know uh i thought they did a great job you know throughout this entire episode uh you know with that effect really like playing with the lighting and keeping things a little foggy too um which was a nice effect i thought it was a step up from anything we got like de-aging wise from star wars in the past it's also cool to see um throughout the episode the different you know stages of anakin you know getting to see the early you know clone wars yes. so that was a really nice touch yes with all the different like outfits and everything like mm. that right and even different hairstyles like nothing looked too jarring or out of place and i just i just really love the idea of anakin like reaching out to ahsoka through the world between worlds to like teach her one final lesson if that is indeed what is happening here which i mean honestly i have no fucking clue <laughs> uh but with that being said i i do kind of like the fact that they don't even bother like trying to explain everything here um you know because i you know i don't know my interpretation is like you know due to the events of you know what happens in that episode when they're on mortis and you've got you know we talked about last podcast with you know the father brother and sister dynamic and you know her basically absorbing you know the sister at the end you know to come back to life after she dies uh -huh. on mortis which i don't think she has memory of honestly 
And then we know that Ezra, you know, in Rebels actually ends up saving Ahsoka using the world between worlds. So I don't know if that has caused like some kind of like bond between Ahsoka in this realm um, or, you know, with everything that happened on Morris, if she's somehow more like spiritually enlightened or in tuned with these things now. Um, but like I said, I don't I don't think I need it over explained um, at the end of the day. And I mean, with what we know about the world between worlds, it's all kind of open ended. It's it's this like cross section between, you know, different times and, you know, the living and the dead. So maybe that's how Anakin's reaching out to her. Maybe. I mean, it's it's so up in the air, but it's fine because it's it adds to the mysticism and I don't need them to really like tell me every I, I like a little bit of interpretation here and there. Exactly. Uh, you know. I want my lightsabers to be direct, but my, you know, force abilities to be a mystery. No, I agree. And as long as they don't, like, lean on the concept too often, um, mm -hmm. you know, where it becomes kind of just like a glorified plot device, I'm fine with this. Because honestly, like, this could have all ended up being just like a force vision in... It probably would have had the same effect. But the fact that it, you know, digs into, like, you know, deep Star Wars lore... As a fan, it just elevates it. While landed, Carson begins to warn Hera that they need to call into command as soon as they can, but Hera seems unfazed by the consequences of her actions. Jason, however, seems to have noticed something going on in the water. At first, Hera is dismissive of her... At first, Hera is kind of dismissive of it, but he further explains he can hear lightsabers in the crashing of the waves, which brings pause to Hera as she decides to try and hear it as well. When she does, she gets Carson and all their ships back into the air to do sweeps of the ocean. Holy shit, like how powerful is Jason that he's able to like sense something that's happening in the world between worlds? I mean, he's no Sabine, that's for sure. And that, <laughs> Yes, that is for sure. And the fact that he's, it felt like he was like channeling it to his mom somehow, because there's no way mm -hmm. she could sense that. At least I don't think, since we know that she's not really force sensitive or she's never really, you know, you know displayed any kind of abilities. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if fucking Uncle Luke doesn't show up at the end of this, you know, and, you know, drag him <laughs> off for some training. I mean, who knows? Maybe he'll even have, like, a young Kylo in tow. Don't tell me that Jason becomes one of the Knights of Red. That would just be... Or Kylo slaughters him. Uh -huh. <laughs> Maybe this isn't a good idea. <laughs> Anakin and Ahsoka then continue to clash in somewhat friendly combat, and as Ahsoka states, it seems like you don't have anything really to offer. Anakin smiles and says that I haven't taught you everything before cutting open the bridge, causing Ahsoka to fall. Landing on a smoky field, a young Ahsoka rises as clone troops from her first mission with Anakin sprint past her. Ahsoka is shocked to be back in the Clone Wars as Anakin charges forward into battle. Ahsoka asks, you know, what this has to do with her training, but Anakin simply says, this is your training. I got straight chills when I realized what the hell was going on here. Because goddamn, I was not expecting to get like a live action version of Clone Wars here. Young Ahsoka and all. Like, and this was the actress who actually played young Gamora in uh, Infinity War and Endgame. Yeah, so um, I, and she's also from uh, Barbie, which she's having a crazy career so far. You know, someone needs to give her agent a raise. Yeah, I mean, and she was great in the role here. Mm -hmm. She really was. Uh, and it really like drove home like just how young 
Ahsoka was during the Clone Wars and how fucked up the Jedi are for making a 14-year-old a general. <laughs> what are you doing? Like, <laughs> I mean, you're putting this kid who's barely gone through puberty in charge of, like, you know, these soldiers' lives? That's, that's pretty fucked up. Yeah, no wonder she has all these, you know, crises now as an adult. Like, yeah, I, why she's so closed off to the world. Maybe just maybe the Jedi got what they deserve, Christian. Uh, finally, someone agrees with me. Thank you. I'm just saying, this is some severe trauma happening here. I mean, here we see, you know, Ahsoka mourning the loss of these clone troopers' lives. You know, all due to decisions that she has to make on the battlefield. Um, you know, it, it, it's really weighing heavy on her, like, you know, that responsibility. Um, you know, because the clone troopers were never just Ken fodder to Ahsoka. They all mattered to her. They're all, like, individual people to her. And that's one of the reasons why they respected her so much. But watching her trying to process all of this really informs who she becomes later on and the choices she ends up making. As Ahsoka continues to run forward, coming into view is wounded and dying troops from the battle that was had. As Ahsoka stands near a clone and makes her presence known to him, Anakin tries to get Ahsoka back into the battle, but notices her reluctancy as she looks amongst the injured. Ahsoka hates that her leadership has cost lives, and she feels that this wasn't you know what she was really trained for. Anakin claims he was trained during peace times, but must now train Ahsoka to be a soldier. Ahsoka fears that all she'll ever have to offer her own Padawan is how to fight but Anakin remarks how teaching sucks anyway and tries to explain if she's going to survive she will have to keep fighting Ahsoka watches on as Anakin returns to the battlefield and we get a quick glimpse of Vader as an explosion lights up in front of him I mean I know everyone online is freaking out about it but that was some of the best visuals uh in Star Wars just that scene of Anakin you know turning into Vader for just a glimpse that yeah, was pretty fucking awesome, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, awesome visuals aside, another cool note is this is actually Hera's planet. That Carson on. and company begin to get restless with their sweep as they're actually pushing their own fuel reserves at this point and still not finding anything. Hera understands the situation but pushes them forward. Hera explains to Hugh Yang that their current mission is unauthorized and questions her own leadership because of it. But Hugh Yang you know, reassures her that her ability to care for others is what makes people like her. I just love how Hugh Yang is the voice of reason on this show. Um, and you know, it pays to have an actor the caliber of David Tennant, you know, doing the voice work here. Doctor Who to Purple Man to now this. I mean, he's, he's just all over the place. That is quite the nerd resume, right? Hugh Yang also believes that Ahsoka is out here. As Hera calls Ahsoka tenacious, Hugh Yang is quick to say that so was her master, which prompts Hera to ask, you know, what was he like? Only for Hugh Yang to simply call Anakin intense. After this, Jason radios in that Hera may have to get even lower to the sea to find them. This actually got me thinking, does Hera even know that... Uh... Vader was Ahsoka's master? No, there's no way. You know, unless she mentioned it to her off camera, right? Mm -hmm. like, I don't even feel like Ahsoka would mention that to Sabine, you know, while she's training. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, this is a much more stoic 
version of Ahsoka than what we've seen in like Clone mm-hmm. Wars. So maybe not. Coming back to Ahsoka, she's aged up a little bit as we find her at the Siege of Mandalore from the final season of the Clone Wars. Anakin brings up how he wasn't at this battle, but is happy to see the warrior she became. She asks if that's all she ever will be, but Anakin claims she is a part of a legacy of their training as each master puts themselves into their students. Anakin says, you know, you are more than a warrior because I am. And Ahsoka is quick to remind Anakin of how much worse he truly is, especially after becoming Vader. Anakin, frustrated, says that she's learned nothing from this and ignites a red lightsaber as his eyes turn yellow. First of all, I, I nearly lost my shit when we saw like a live action, like Maldalorians. Uh, I, for a brief second, I was like, oh my God, are we going to see like Ahsoka versus Darth Maul? <laughs> like know, live right? action form? I just, at this point, I just need a live action Clone Wars series. Like just give me, <laughs> give me it all. Like, let's just redo the whole series in live action. Give it to Filoni. I mean, he did it before. Let him just reboot the whole series at this point. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, they could pick and choose the episodes, obviously. We don't need uh-huh. all the fucking Jar Jar episodes or, you know, the, <laughs> the weird droid ones. But hell, if you do like the top five episodes of every season or the top six or even like the untold stories of the Clone Wars, there's so much beyond the bone. I mean, yeah, you could just turn Tales of the Jedi into a live action exactly. series. <laughs> I mean, I know I'm being greedy, but hell. I want to be greedy. Um, give it to me all. But anyway, it was great to see Anakin give Ahsoka the flowers that she deserves here. Um, you know, since you know he didn't get to witness um, anything that you know went down during this battle. Since you know at this time, you know the events of Revenge of the Sith are basically unfolding. Um, but the significance of this battle and this moment isn't lost on Anakin because, I mean, we talked about it before when this original episode aired. I mean. The Clone Wars is Ahsoka's story. So, I mean, and she's the hero of this story. And this battle really drives that home. Now, on the flip side, you know, right after this, I really enjoyed Ahsoka calling out Anakin for the monster he ends up becoming. Uh Uh-huh. And actually, before we get into, you know, them fighting, I was a little disappointed that, like, I don't know why. I got into my head after he mentioned I wasn't at this fight. And with all the rumors we got beforehand with them saying, you know, you know, we'll see them at Mustafar. I was like, oh, man, you know, she's going to get that same moment with him getting to see, you know, the fight that happened. Meanwhile, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dot, dot, dot on Mustafar. Exactly. Yeah, I thought the same fucking thing. I really did. Um, but it is what it is. I'm kind of yes. happy that we didn't go that route because I almost feel like it's more like poignant that she's facing off against Anakin. Um, instead of like, you know, a suited up Vader, um, Mm -hmm. because we're still getting Sith Anakin here, um, yellow eyes and all, but I guess for the moment, it just, I don't know, for me, it just meant more her being face to face with him because honestly, like, I don't know, the, the Sith eyed version of Anakin might even be more scary than the Vader version. Um, you know, cause that's, that's the youngling killing Anakin. <laughs> uh, the one without breathing issues and with all the limbs. <laughs> right. You know, cause really it's Anakin at his full power. Yes. Because Vader, and this sounds awful, is literally half the pan. Um, so this version of him that she's facing off against is him at his full power. And just that whole visual of her getting like, you know, the Sith eyes, if you will, really just hit home, like how her and Anakin are so much alike. They both kind of have this rage underneath the surface, obviously more so Anakin. 
But we get a little taste of it last episode where we see Ahsoka reacting to, you know, Sabine possibly being dead. Because she force pushes the shit out of shit. <laughs> All right, before we move on, I'm happy to announce we have a brand new partner this month, AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Let me tell you, once I turned 40, I started to fall apart. So I was literally trying everything to help me hold it together. But I was getting tired of taking so many supplements and I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases every day. I wanted better gut health, a boost in energy and immune system support. But I hated taking vitamins every single day and I wanted a supplement that actually tasted great. And that's when I discovered AG1. I've started drinking AG1 every morning before starting my day Day, and it genuinely feels like I'm doing something good for my body, especially as a gamer trying to be more active. It feels like I'm finally giving my body the nutrition it craves. Plus, I found it difficult trying to keep up with other routines due to them having several different products involved. But AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. Since I've been drinking AG1, I've noticed an overall feeling of health. I'm no longer too exhausted after work to play with my daughter or help her with her homework. AG1's helped boost my energy, help my focus and mental clarity, and even help improve my digestion. And that's all due to its science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food source nutrients. AG1 helps you build your health foundation first. Why take a bunch of different things when you can just mix one scoop of powder in water once a day? AG1 was designed with ease in mind so you can live healthier and better without having to complicate your routine. And what I love about AG1 is that it's delivered to me every month, so it's been super easy to make it a daily habit. I also get the single serving AG1 travel packs, so I never have to miss a day. I just mix the powder into ice cold water and drink it first thing every morning, and that's it. With AG1, taking good care of your body every day is really that simple. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is head over to drinkag1.com slash nerdshow. Once again, to get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase, all you have to do is go to drinkag1.com slash nerdshow. That's drinkag1.com slash nerdshow and check it out. And now back to our breakdown of Ahsoka. Kicking her back out of the past, Anakin in the eyes of Ahsoka glitches back and forth between being Vader and himself as he presses on the attack. Present day Ahsoka struggles against her master as he tries to kill her. Ahsoka dodges his attack and is able to disarm Anakin and hold his blade to his throat as she contemplates killing her master. And for a brief moment, her eyes actually glow yellow, but she tosses the blade aside and claims she chooses to live. Anakin's own eyes at this point turn back as he smiles and disappears from Ahsoka's view, stating there's hope for you yet. Water then suddenly fills the world between worlds, and Ahsoka seems to understand what she must do as she allows herself to just float in the rising waters. Waking up on Setos, a Republic pilot pulls her from the waters as Carson calls into Hera. So, I mean, once again, this kind of leaves it open to interpretation, but I choose to believe that this is Ahsoka actually, you know, in the world between worlds, you know, getting taught her final lesson from Anakin. The how and why just doesn't matter. It's just amazing that she was able to finally get closure with Anakin. 
Later on, Ahsoka wakes up having been asleep for over a day. Hugh Yang explains Jason was the one who tapped into his abilities and found her. Joining Jason and Hera, Ahsoka thanks Jason as he explains he could hear her fighting in the water. Hera, though, is quick to get you know, Hugh Yang to take Jason on a tour of their Jedi ship as a distraction. Hera then asks, you know, what happened to Sabine, and Ahsoka takes the broken map to tap into the Force and see echoes of the past. She then witnesses what happened as Raylan offers to bring her along to find Ezra. So is this Ahsoka powered up a little? Because I didn't know she had this ability, right? I guess so, because, yeah, I thought, you know, Force Echoes was a very rare ability. Because that's like supposed to be like one of the special abilities that Cal Kestis has from the uh, Jedi Fallen Order games. Uh, they made it seem like it was a, definitely a rare, rare ability. So when she just pulled this out, I was like, oh, uh, maybe she's a little bit more attuned with the Force now. Ahsoka then relays that Sabine left with Morgan Elsbeth, but now they don't know how to actually get there since, you know, the map was destroyed. Carson interrupts, though, claiming that the fleet is arriving to collect them since, you know, they never actually communicated back to command. Hera then takes a call from Mon Mothma and, you know, learns that her rank may be in danger as, you know, the Council wants to reevaluate her position in command because of all of her actions. Mon Mothma also claims that Ahsoka needs to attend this trial as they need her testimony to help, you know, Hera's case. Mon Mothma needs to grow a fucking spine here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, with everything that Hera's done, you know, for the cause and everything, like, you know, basically helping Mon Mothma, you would just think Hera would have a little more equity you know, with, with the Republic, you know, for everything that she's done. She's a fucking war hero. Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't know, man. Come on, Mama. <laughs> I mean, it's clearly, you know, all just setting up the fact that Ahsoka's most likely not going to be around for whatever this trial is. And, you know, when they come back, it'll probably be, you know, no longer General Syndulla, but just regular Syndulla. Yeah, I mean, I have a feeling Hera in the long run is not going to give a shit. It's, oh, yeah. you know, what's more important to her is saving her friends. So Exactly. I mean, she hasn't seemed to care since <laughs> landing there. Although, if Thrawn is indeed back at the end of this series, the Republic's going to have a lot of egg on their face. So I'm guessing they'll have to reevaluate any ruling that they do make. Who doesn't love a good I told you so moment? Yeah, even though it will end up costing billions of lives. <laughs> Next, we see Ahsoka, though, she has come up with a new plan on how to, you know, rejoin up with Sabine and Morgan, and that's to actually take a ride with the space whales, of course. Communicating through the Force, Ahsoka reaches out to the Purgle while Hera and company watch on. As the fleet finally arrive, Hera commands Carson to stall them as best as he can as they attempt to collect their deserters. Carson does what he can to stall, but his persuasion game isn't all that great. The fleet eventually has to threaten using force and, you know, court-martialing and all that if he doesn't, you know, tell them the truth, which Carson then reluctantly begins telling of Ahsoka's plan. So this is totally not story-related at all, but, like, have we seen these parakeet-headed aliens in the past in Star Wars? I can't tell you where, but I feel like I've seen that one before. Okay, because I was like, is this a new species? I don't remember this like you know this race of alien they seemed familiar to me at least meanwhile jason watches on in amazement as the stories his mother told him of ezra are being relived in front of him seeming to get the whale on her side the purgle opens its mouth for ahsoka's ship to enter hugh yang asks if they know where you know sabine was taken but ahsoka says she has no idea but is gonna just wing it and hope for the best I'm sure that's not the answer he was looking for. Um, <laughs> this was a good, like, 
five minutes. This might be a little controversial, but I could give a shit about the Purgles, man. <laughs> I don't know. Like, they just don't do it for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I felt like we were supposed to be, like, in awe of, like, the spectacle of all these space wells, but I was like, I just want more fucking Clone Wars at this point, so um, it was fine, but I don't know. They they just feel like a glorified plot device to me. Like, they don't really mean anything otherwise. I mean, do do they do it for you, Christian? Are you a Purgle no, no, fan? No, I. This is the one of those weird elements where it just you know they. Sh- I feel like almost every sci-fi thing has some type of space whale, and it, it it never really like makes any sense or does anything to really move the plot along. They're just like and, it's a cool spectacle. I don't know. And, and you could tell like Filoni is in love with this concept. Oh yeah, keeps bringing it back every last yes, like, every chance right? he gives. <laughs> I just don't get it. Like, it does nothing for me. But whatever. I mean, this was an awesome episode regardless of the final five minutes. Um, it just, I mean, it just felt a little goofy. Them, you know, like, okay, we're just going to jump in this Purgle's mouth and hope that it takes us where we need to go. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I guess I'm downplaying the moment. I'm sure this is all about how more in tune Ahsoka is with the Force, you know, after her final lesson with Anakin. But it just felt a little drawn out once again and like I, I just don't find these fucking wells that all inspire so <laughs> whatever the purgle then begin making their way into space as they fly past the once skeptical command ship Hera then says her goodbyes to Ahsoka which Ahsoka apologizes for not being able to bring her along but Hera is more than okay with this as she wants to you know keep her son back and protect him but with that said our episode comes to a close once the purgle make their jump into hyperspace Overall, I felt like I went into this episode um, maybe a little too hyped because I was just thinking of like all these different rumors that were coming about. But what we did end up getting was still visually super impressive. And I was also super happy with the storyline between Ahsoka and Anakin. So I'm 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 overall happy, but I do feel like I, I came in with maybe too too many thoughts of like, we're gonna see Mustafar, we could possibly see Anakin um, and full Vader going up against Ahsoka. Like, I just, I, I, I let my I brain don't know. go like, wild. For me, I think I was more satisfied with seeing, like I said, like seeing Anakin mm-hmm. and Ahsoka facing off. So, cause at this point with the Obi-Wan series, we've seen, you know, uh, tons of Vader. So it's cool seeing Hayden Christensen, like full Sith, you know, or just interacting with Ahsoka in general. Yeah. So I didn't mind that we didn't get that rumored Mustafar moment. And who knows, maybe we do see that at some point. Because I know what I wasn't expecting was to get like, you know, a live action version of Clone Wars Mm -hmm. on the screen. So because even though last podcast we talked about this episode, you know, being kind of a situation of like, you know, the ghosts of Christmas past with Ahsoka, I still wasn't expecting to get like a live action version of Clone Wars, you know, played out. And like I said before, just seeing Anakin and Ahsoka finally get closure and Anakin giving her like that final lesson, I thought was just fantastic. I think, you know, in the long run, probably means more than just some, you know, forced nightmare like, you know, what we got with Luke on Dagobah and Empire Strikes Back. 
Because that I think that's kind of what we were expecting when we heard that rumor about Mustafar. That was just going to be kind of like you know, the, you know, Ahsoka's past haunting her. So yeah, I mean, I was more than satisfied with this episode. I thought it was great. Um, oh, we we got Rex as well for like a second there. We yes. totally forgot to mention that. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, he, I mean, they kept the helmet on obviously because Tamora is older now. Um, but yes, fucking awesome. And I'm still hoping eventually we do see an older version of Rex show up in the series, you know, to help out the crew. But I mean, at this point, we only have, what, three episodes left? Yeah, this is the the first half, the uh, first of the second half. So, I mean, let's see if they can stick the landing. But in my opinion, I mean, so far, this is one of the stronger, you know, Disney Plus Star Wars series offerings. But all right, with that said, make sure to join us next week as we break down episode six of Ahsoka. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. This week in gaming, Sony dropped their latest state of play that honestly didn't do all that much to interest me in. You know, besides a couple titles here and there, um, I think the one that really caught my attention the most was that weird baby legs game. Um, it, it just looks fucking wild. I, I don't know who came up with that. But of course, um, with Spider-Man 2 coming out in October, Sony gave us a touch bit more of gameplay in an expanded look at the game, along with allowing games journalists to, you know, release some small previews of, you know, what they been playing so far um from trailers and previews released for the game um the devs have repeatedly gone on record about you know taking full advantage of the ps5 and this is most evident in the visuals as the game will feature ray tracing whether you are in performance mode or not um the city is also twice as big you know to fit our two spider-men adding the boroughs of brooklyn and queens that you will be able to traverse by you know either swinging or using your new web wings and of course they've added air tunnels and stuff like that to help you you know go even faster with the web wings across the city as they do actually um run out of steam and you can you know end up falling down if you're not you know careful with your web wings but this was all shown off with these brand new swinging animations and stuff that all move a lot faster in this game you know so that you can get across this massive city and then there's also the fact that like in gta 5 you will be able to switch between miles and peter at any point they didn't necessarily show how long that loading between the two characters would be you know i felt like it was a clever cut straight to um, peter but if it's that fast i would be pretty impressed but i feel like they were you know a little bit like just like oh we cut straight to peter from miles so the devs have you know been touting that it is a short load time no matter what all thanks of course to the performance of the ps5 um traversal for me was one of the best parts of the first game i rarely you know if ever used fast travel you know it was so fun to swing around in that game and getting lost in the world especially with all the you know additional things that you could do in the first game and it just feels like you know they've doubled down on all of that here with the bigger city now and with the additional side missions that only you know pertain to each spider-man as well they they both have their own side activities and stuff on top of you know ones that they could do combined it's just all really shaping up to be a truly bigger better you know experience um the footage also reminded me a lot of that arkham you know night city build where the districts of the city felt unique and visually stimulating there seems to be you know a distinct enough difference between where you are and who you're playing as that will add so much more to the you know experience as a whole they have also added an augmented reality view for our characters you know that you know allows them to see little graphics for their you know activities throughout the city um i thought that was a nice touch or a nice explanation at least to why you know there's 
floating neon signs and shit like that. And then they got into the cosmetics where they showed off, you know, 65 new suits. They're all unlockable in the game, which will have about 200 variations combined across all the, you know, customizable options for those suits. It just sounds like a huge fucking game. I was a massive fan of the first one that Insomniac pulled off. And I just can't wait to get my hands on this one on October 20th. Um, it is said that when Spider-Man is complete, Insomniac will be working in full force then on their next title for Marvel, um, which is, you know, the Wolverine game. Um, there's been leaks here and there. Um, I think there was one either this week or last week, but, the, you know, people were really impressed by the visceral experience um, that they're going for. They're, you know, shooting for that M rating. The game will have a full hack and slash dismemberment system um, that will give you that true Wolverine experience. Other things that we know about the game so far is that it won't necessarily be an open world experience. Rather, Logan will be kind of like traveling to different locations where you will do missions at any more like God of War experience. Um, the story, like with Marvel Spider-Man, will be an original piece based on the comics, but will follow its own continuity which i trust insomniac after you know everything that they did with miles and pete so there's no worries there for me i mean i full-heartedly believe that they will nail the gameplay and give us a decent story which is you know all i really care about in the end but beyond all that stream wise um we have been playing a ton of starfield non-stop uh, i'm addicted to the bethesda game experience so there's no shocker there that i've been just wanting to go back to it every day hell i almost you know considered streaming before we recorded the show today just to get in a little bit more of that Starfield time. But I do plan on getting back to other games. Um, you know, games like Mortal Kombat are on their way as well. I believe reviews and the um, early copies for that just dropped, but it'll be fully out next week. And then, of course, we have Marvel Spider-Man 2 on the horizon. Um, I'm pretty deep into the main quest for Starfield, um, so I think it won't take me too long to complete at least that portion of it on stream with you guys. So make sure to join us on Twitch every weekend when we are live. But with all that said, let's go ahead and move on to some wrestling. Let me make something perfectly clear, Sammy. Next week, I'm gonna give you the match of your life. And I'm not gonna go easy on you. I'm going to beat the living hell out of you. All right, Christian. So I thought this was another strong week for AEW TV wise. Um, I thought Collision and Dynamite did a great job of really, you know, laying the groundwork for, you know, two upcoming events. Um, you know, we've got Grand Slam next week, and we also have Wrestle Dream October 1st. Um, I feel like so far the build um, overall has been better than what we got for, you know, the Wembley show and uh, All Out. So, um, you know, there's a lot of storylines, but they're all cohesive and we can kind of yes. see where they're headed. Um, outside of the ring, uh, there's been some controversy uh, over the turnstile count uh, when it comes to All In. I don't know if you've been keeping up with that story at all. There was some kind of government audit on, you know, exactly how many people actually attended Wembley. Um, okay. you know, I guess that information is, you know, free to anyone who asks. Um, the number was quite a bit less than what uh, AEW reported. Now, you know, I guess a lot of times with these events, there is like a there could be a 10 to 20 percent difference than, you know, when it comes to tickets sold to actual people who attended. Th that's not abnormal. Um 
so it is what it is. I don't know. Like, so it looks like the number is closer to like 72,000. Um, if this turnstile, you know, count is correct. So that puts AEW around like third for like highest attended, like physically attended shows. Um, but that doesn't mean that the actual ticket sold number was wrong. The 82,000 that they reported. It just doesn't mean 82,000 people actually showed up to the event. Okay. Um, well, I mean, they didn't kayfabe the number, though. Like, yes. They weren't like... <laughs> By all reports, they did try to actually get the real, authentic, you know, ticket sold number to the press the best they could. Um, but who the fuck knows? And who really cares? I mean, 72,000 exactly. people, still a lot more people than anyone thought they were going to get at the show. So it's still quite the achievement regardless. But anyway... Um, also, we have the story that Jade Cargill might actually be done with the company. Um, you know, she re-debuted on Collision this past week, uh, making the save for, for Chris Statlander. She was getting beat down by the Renegade twins uh, when Jade made the save. Of course, that only lasted for a brief moment because then Jade attacked uh, Chris uh, and then held up the tbs title um everyone was surprised though when it was announced on dynamite that chris statlander versus jade for the tbs title was taking place on rampage this week um because i i think like me everyone assumed that was going to be at least a grand slam match or even a wrestle dream match mm -hmm. and then reports came out that you know chris statlander actually went over clean on jade and afterwards it it felt like jade was saying goodbye uh and that i i guess a lot of people backstage were perceiving it that way and that she was actually leaving the company and it was actually perceived that way by a lot of people backstage in aew um and a lot of people believe that you know she was headed to wwe um apparently there were apparently her contract is up soon or has already expired um, and I guess there are people in WWE who actually have the same perception. So it looks most likely, uh, Miss Jade Cardgill is no longer with AEW. Uh, thoughts, Christian? I feel like Jade could thrive in the WWE system in general. Like, I feel like, you know, with the right storyline and the right people behind her, she can thrive in that kind of environment. I, I totally picture her amongst, you know, the women's division there. Um, there's been rumors that, you know, she would be skipping NXT altogether. Um, I've been seeing um, to go right to the main roster, but I, I don't know about that or not. Um, I could see it being a scenario where, you know, one, if she is headed to the WWE, She's not going there under an NXT contract. Um, if she spends any time there, it's going to be brief at best. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I could see it more of a situation where she's kind of learning on the fly. And they're kind of just, you know, seeing her as the huge star that she is and figured that, you know, their women's division is strong enough to kind of like carry her for, you know, the first couple of months and really, you know, get her up to snuff, um, at least in their eyes. Um, you know, regardless of her having this huge record, you know, over an AEW with, you know, what, 50-some, you know, straight consecutive wins, she's still very green. I mean, 50 matches in the lifespan of a wrestler isn't that many. So, I mean, so it's really at no fault of her own. 
Um, she can only wrestle as many times as Tony books her. But her wrestling skills isn't why WWE is, you know, signing her if they are signing her. It's the it factor that she has. You know, she has this natural charisma that, you know, draws people to her. So they, they probably figure they can mold the rest if needed. So, um, you know, I mean, it's a great signing for WWE. And I do feel like she might be a better fit there. Um, and God knows, like, I can't blame her for leaving AEW since, you know, I mean, they only feature one women's match, you know, per, you know, show. show. So, yes. mm-hmm. I mean, there were times where she just felt lost in the shuffle. And when you have a star like Jade Cargill, that should never be the case. Uh, so it is what it is. I mean, this is kind of, you know, a, a scenario where it's like, you know, you reap what you sow in the long run. Like, Tony you know, wants to book the women's division this way, well, this is the kind of shit that happens. Another big rumor that was, you know, happening outside of the ring this week was that uh, Edge was removed from WWE's internal uh, roster. So, you know, this might have been premature, uh, but a lot of people believe on both sides, you know, AEW and WWE, that Edge might be popping up in AEW sooner than later. Okay, um, okay. I don't know. Does that excite you at all? Yeah, I would love to see what Edge will do outside of WWE. Um, I don't know what... I mean, we've talked about it before. I don't know what they do about Christian uh, if they want to get them to work together or go against each other, because Christian is a straight heel. There's no down. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if you have a dead dad, he's coming for you. So, and I yeah, just exactly. I can't imagine Edge debuting as a heel. Um, <laughs> it felt like Christian was kind of you know dropping some breadcrumbs this week when he talked about like you know the loss at Wembley stadium and how he didn't have his, you know, quote unquote, regular partner with him. Um, but then he mentions Luchasaurus after a little bit. So who knows? Um, I mean, some people are thinking that maybe, you know, if you do debut edge, you do it at Arthur Ashe stadium. Um, you do it at a big events, you know, that's televised with as many eyes on it as possible. Um, I mean, it would be a big moment and a big, you know, get for AEW. And I'm sure with, you know, the clock running down for Edge, there's probably a lot of wrestlers on AEW's roster that he would love to, you know, be in the ring with right now. Um, and I mean, if you really look at it, I mean, he's done pretty much everything that you could possibly do in WWE. So, and it's not like after, you know, this contract, he won't go back to WWE, you know, and they won't have open arms for him you know, waiting. So mm. it might just be a case of like, if I'm going to do this, I got to do it now. Right. Because the last time we saw edge outside of WWE, he was fucking sexed in Hardcastle. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of interested to see what edge would look like in AEW. Um, you know, there's a lot of dream matches, uh, you know, I mean, he does wrestle very WWE like style, but, you know, what does Edge look like with, you know, the shackles off? And I'm sure he do- wouldn't see it that way, but mm. Edge with no restraints on him could be fun. And having him in the locker room as a mentor figure wouldn't be a bad thing either. Exactly. I mean, there's a lot that, you know, the wrestlers could learn from them. I like imagining, like, 
MJF running a program with, you know, Edge, you know, I, I feel like that would work very well. Yes, and I feel like Edge's mic work is so underrated, too. Like, people just mm-hmm. forget, like, how fantastic he is on the mic. So that would be a great, like, back and forth. Like, I don't necessarily put him on the same, like, plane as, like, you know, CM Punk and MJF. But at the same time, he's a great storyteller. So um, I'm sure they would have just an amazing program. But speaking of Edge, uh, another person who was, I don't know, stirring up the pot, it seemed like, uh, this week on Twitter was um, Mercedes Monet. Uh, when, you know, this story was out about Edge being removed off the internal uh, roster from WWE, uh, she happened to quote Edge's theme song. So a lot of people took that as maybe a clue that she might also be headed to AEW. Um, you know, we did see her heavily featured at All In uh, on camera. So I wouldn't doubt that they're at least in talks. Um, so who knows? I mean, those would be two huge gets for AEW. Good trade. I, I, I trade those two for uh, Jade. That's fine. Yeah, well, right. <laughs> and perhaps CM Punk. Who knows? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, the Punk camp has been quiet this week, which is a little scary. It might be the quiet before the storm. Uh, <laughs> Nick Khan uh, this week on a media call had an interesting quote when it came to Punk. I, I think someone asked about, you know, the possibility of Punk showing up on WWE TV. But um, I'm paraphrasing phrasing totally here because i don't have the quote in front of me but it almost felt like he was already wishing punk the best on his future endeavors <laughs> which was strange um you know like he was like we respect you know punk's you know history with the company and everything he tried to do with ufc and we just wish the best for phil i was like okay I mean, I think I it know. was more of a non-answer than anything but it did uh, feel like a big we have nothing for you pal you know <laughs> Like a no thank you. I mean, you know, Nick Khan and Vince might be saying that, but, you know, now they are TKO or whatever the fuck they want to call their new company. Uh, and they might have interest in them, especially having worked with UFC. I don't know what that relationship, how that ended at all. Yeah. And I honestly don't know. Like, I mean, Vince supposedly is still in charge of WWE creatively. Um, mm. So I would think they would defer to him. Um but God knows Vince has forgiven a lot of people who've burned even bigger bridges than CM Punk. So I wouldn't be surprised either way. But anyway, since there was so much to talk about outside of the ring this week, uh, we're not going to take a deep dive on Dynamite and Collision. Uh, instead, I figure, you know, with Grand Slam on the horizon, we'll go ahead and just give our predictions. Yeah, um, so far I have six matches down for night one on Dynamite. Is it a two-night situation here are they counting rampage is grand slam also i think in the past they would do that so i'm not sure i haven't seen an announcement made by AEW. but right now i have you know wikipedia <laughs> says we have one night so far interesting because i would i i wonder if they would film stuff for collision on grand slam because mm-hmm. i would think they would be more concerned about you know getting that big event feel for collision but who knows Well, either way, to start things off, I have Christian Cage and Luchasaurus going up against Darby Allin and Sting. Darby and Sting. I mean, Darby and Sting haven't lost yet. I mean, I don't see them losing here. Um, Do we have an edge sighting? Edge sighting here. Um, I mean, it's a big show to do it at if you wanted to. 
But I don't know if they'll just save it for, you know, Wrestle Dream, unless that's just to build up to well, the Wrestle Dream match. Yeah. See, that's what I'm thinking. I feel I feel mm-hmm. like they're in New York, so it's kind of a little, you know, jab at, you know, you know, the other side. So Gotcha. Um, you know, it's their backyard, right? Um Yeah, I I could see him showing up here if he's gonna show up. Now apparently from what he said, his contract's up at the end of September. But I mean, Edge is a fucking liar. He's lied before and he'll lie again. Exactly. So um, he doesn't <laughs> owe us an explanation for it either. It's his fucking contract. Right. So I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't show up here. Um, well, if he does show up, does that change your opinion of who's winning? No, no. I think he, okay. he would spear Christian. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe he would fake, you know, being aligned with him, you know, and then he would just spare uh, him for being a bastard, you know, and for that fucking turtleneck. Well, I'm, I'm going to go with Darby and Sting, obviously, as well. Um, I mean, if you, you know, I'm still waiting for that title match. So, <laughs> yeah. And back on edge. I mean, also, you have the New York factor. I mean, mm. it's going to be covered by New York media. So, I mean, it's a great like statement to make with edge showing up. Um, so we'll see. I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Mercedes doesn't make an appearance, too. Like, even if it's just her in the crowd. Uh, up next, I have John Moxley versus Ray Phoenix for the AEW International Championship. Moxley. Yeah. I mean, it's so early in the run either way. So I mean, it's going to be a great match. They had a, an awesome match on Dynamite a couple weeks back, right? Because it was Moxley who put uh, Ray on yes. the shelves. So, um, I don't think Ray's going to win, though. Um, although... Like having Ray with the international title probably makes a little more sense than Moxley, um, just because you could actually see him defend it like outside of the country. Yeah, like AAA and stuff. But still, Ray is nowhere near the star power of Moxley, and that might kind of denigrate Orange Cassidy's reign in a way. You know, since Moxley's mm-hmm. the one who beat him, um, you know, for him to lose the title so soon after. Um, it does feel like they're trying to, you know, replicate Orange's uh, reign, though, with Moxley. Like, Moxley's defended that title every show since he won the thing. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I like it being, like, the worker's title, but at the same time, I don't need a, a total, like, copycat reign. You know, I'm fine with them telling a different story with the belt. Uh, side note here, I don't, I don't know why there are the trio's titles— the tag titles, the fucking TBS title, and the international title are all doing open challenge type of storylines yes, right now. It's annoying. <laughs> it's a bad plot device. It's basically Ugh. an excuse to have squash matches too. Mm-hmm. Right? Because like these lower mid card people are answering these open challenges and it's just leading to squash matches that don't mean anything. Like, they're trying to hide the fact that they're, you know, basically, you know, enhancement matches with the fact that they're for this open title challenge. Um, You're not fooling anyone. And once again, this just brings me to the conclusion that Tony needs to somehow revise the rankings. Because at this point, it just feels like Tony's really struggling to figure out how to replace them anyway. And he's just relying on fucking battle royals, tournaments, and open challenges. 
Yeah. I think the main issue he has now with the rankings is that it would force him to have, you know, extra matches, you know, here and there to, you know, build people up these rankings. Well, and I think yeah. it's really indicative of, you know, a bigger systemic problem with the company um, and Tony's booking, which is he's scared to have his bigger names lose. Now, on the other side of the fence with WWE, they have, you know, their bigger stars lose all the time. But the issue there is, you know, those losses are always attached to really shitty finishes. Shitty finishes that AEW tries to avoid. You know, they're all about match quality and, you know, real finishes. You know, um, it's part of their more sports-orientated vision for wrestling um you know they don't do well at least they weren't trying to do tons of run-ins and dqs and distraction finishes and weird roll-ups lately aw's been kind of leaning more into that um Mm. and they don't like 50 50 booking which like i get it but at the same time then you need to not be so trigger shy when it comes to you know having you, you know, bigger names lose once in a while. I think fans are willing to accept clean losses as long as in the long run, the story's going somewhere and you're consistent with the wrestler's push. Like as long as they're being featured and, you know, seen winning matches also at the same time. But on the flip side, you know, the fear is that these wrestlers are going to get lost in the shuffle afterwards. Like, you have to consistently feature them also. You can't have them losing and then disappear for, you know, two months. You have to allow them to regain momentum at some point. But if you really want to do more sports-orientated booking, then you need to have something akin to a ranking system um, for all this to make sense. Otherwise, you know, once again, you're leaning on the crutch of, you know, gimmicks like tournaments and battle royals and you know open challenges and shit like that which just after a while gets really fucking redundant all right well to move this card along though we have claudio castanoli going up against eddie kingston in a winner takes all match uh where they have the ring of honor world championship and the strong open weight championship both on the line i feel like this is eddie's big moments you know, to win a quote-unquote world title, even though it's just the ROH title, not to (laughs) (laughs) shit on ROH. Um, You know, I think everyone, in everyone's, you know, perfect vision of this moment, because, I mean, I think everyone's had this, you know, dream scenario of Eddie winning a world title at Arthur Ashe Stadium in front Uh of a home crowd. Um, But if it can't be the AEW title, I guess the ROH title will do. I mean... The feud's been pretty damn good, so like I, I mean, I think this is honestly some of Claudio's best work. I love him like giving Eddie the cold shoulder and him just acting so fucking arrogant, like he's above Eddie. Um, uh-huh. You know, it's a they have great chemistry too in the ring, so um, this could be a big moment for Eddie. So let's see. I, I feel like this would. I would hope that this would be kind of like the big climax for this story. It's been going on for yeah, years now. <laughs> well, yes, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't know like how many people were really, you know, worried about a few that started in Chikara, you know, over the last you know uh-huh. decade. 
Um, but yeah, since he's come to the company, since Claudio's joined AEW, it's been brewing since the very beginning. I think the one hiccup that kind of, I don't know, got the whole story off track was Eddie doing the G1. Um, but I mean, I guess maybe the silver lining is that now the payoff, you know, his big win against Claudio is going to actually happen in front of, you know, once again, his home audience. Uh, up next, I have Chris Jericho versus Sammy Guevara. So I think Sammy actually wins the match here. Um, and since this is supposed to be babyface versus babyface, um, you know, um, master versus, you know, protege type deal, uh, you know, they hug it out in the middle of the ring. But then Jericho, being Jericho, kicks Sammy in the balls, echoing uh, his <laughs> WrestleMania moment with HBK. Um, you know, uh, and Jericho turns on Sammy and we get a big, like, blood feud out of these two. Yeah, especially after this like, past, you know, promo thing that they did. I was like, oh, this is just the start. Yes, you know, this, there's no way that they're going to be nice throughout all this. They were definitely laid it on thick with that video package, uh, too. And everything it was, it was a bit much with the music and everything. So, um, yeah, I mean, this program has been a little awkward and strange because I still don't even know, like, what this Jericho character is all about. It was like, I mean, it uh, seemed like he was turning babyface, but then he wanted to join Callus and he turned him down. So then he became like de facto babyface against Osprey, <laughs> but not really because it was Osprey's home country. So it's just been a mess. Uh. <laughs> But hopefully this kind of writes the ship and gets everything back on track. Um, I, I think for now it's a safe bet to just say Sammy, though. That's fine. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, after that, we have the AEW Women's World Championship match between the champion Soraya and Tony Storm. So I love what Tony's doing with her character, um, which makes me want to say Tony. But since it seems like Mercedes is on her way to AEW... Um, maybe for a program or maybe, you know, for an extended stay, who knows? Um, it, it just feels like it makes more sense for Soraya to win and then to defend the title against Mercedes since they have such a big history together with, you know, Mercedes being, you know, the person who originally, you know, retired Soraya. I mean, honestly, I picture like almost a Paige AJ Lee moment where Mercedes, the moment she comes in, you know, tries to challenge for a title match. And immediately takes it off of Soraya um, night one. Oh. Uh, and then they can start a whole feud based off of that where Soraya is trying to win it back. But I don't know if they want to you know, push Soraya that much as a, a face right off the bat. I don't think uh, she's going to be the face in this program. Yeah. You know, I think it'd be Mercedes who's the face, honestly. So um, um, I wouldn't be surprised, though, if they don't do, you know, a, a situation where Mercedes challenges right away. And then you have mm -hmm. Soraya chasing after Mercedes. Um, but you're right, storyline-wise, it would probably make more sense for Soraya to be the babyface. But we've obviously seen that doesn't really work with the AEW crowd. Uh, as far as this match, I want to see Storm win, but uh, just because I feel like the character would probably be pretty awesome with the title right now. Uh, you know, seeing her glow with it and everything like that, but again, Soraya just won the belt and I would hate to see them bouncing it around so much, though we just saw that, I guess, with, with Sheeta. So right. I, I guess I can't really complain. Um, uh, well, I mean, you could, I mean, that's a reason to complain, right? Because we just saw her yeah. lose the belt. <laughs> I'm going to give it to Soraya just because she's, you know, has only just won the title. Yeah. Hopefully they, yeah, I they feel like she'll get at least one win. 
under her belt, yeah. right? All right, well, lastly, we have our main event, which is the AEW World Championship between MJF and Samoa Joe. I kind of want Joe to win. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, like, sure, in a perfect world, I could see Joe win, winning, but I, like Joe could win right and, now, then, no. and then lose it at Wrestle Dream. Like you, you think that they would take it off him for like a couple weeks and give it back? They've never done it before with the men's world title. No, you know, I think it'd be a huge moment, you know, at Arthur Ashe Stadium. Joe's hot right now. Um, MGF has the excuse of the injury. Um, mm-hmm. You could even do it. You could even do a deal where you have Joe beat MGF, right? And then put him on the shelf. And then you have Adam Cole challenge Joe, you know, and. You know, you could either have Cole beat Joe and then MJF is jealous and pissed off at Cole, you know, or you have a three way situation. There's a lot of different avenues you can travel there. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, it would be a situation where it seems like Cole is challenging Joe, uh, you know, for the honor of his friend. But at the same time, MJF is over there thinking, well, you're the one who actually hurt my neck in the first place. (laughs) Was this all part of your plan? Um there's just a lot of wrinkles, you know, to this storyline that they could really like, you know, dive into. So I don't know. But I mean, most likely MJF is going to win, but I don't know. I, I feel like it'd be cool to shake things up, do something different, I mean, get people buzzing. I would be down for that storyline. I just don't think AEW has it in them to pull that trigger and do that. No, I agree. But I think maybe one of AEW's problems right now is they're a little too predictable. So once again, it doesn't hurt to shake things up once in a while. And honestly, like at the end of the day, it might end up making MJF even a bigger baby face if we get to see him chase after Joe and, you know, finally like vanquish the bully. I mean, you could do the whole Rocky comeback story, even if you choose not to, you know, use the Adam Cole element. Ah, yes. Is this another film Punk hasn't seen or does he know this one? He doesn't know that that's the film that caused the rip between him and Boxley, I think. Exactly. Oh, man. Oh, sure. I, I, MJF's winning. Okay. No, I, you're probably right, but there's nothing wrong with a little fantasy booking. Nothing wrong with it, but MJF's winning. But anyway, uh, join us next week and see how wrong or right we were. Well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five-star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by TheAmazingNerdShow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some nerd show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture and whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show.
Just like a bat. I dig it. <laughs>